Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Amen Conference. Good to see you all and uh, good to be a part of the uh, gathering this weekend. I know that uh, many have traveled far and over the last year and a half, we've been through a whole lot, but I praise God that he has brought us here now and that we are able to fellowship together, worship together, encourage one another, and by God's grace, leave here even more inclined to do his work. I believe we are not in the end days anymore. I believe we are in the final hours. And so um, the three-part series that I will be presenting will speak to that prophetically, where we are, what it means, and how we should be preparing and helping others to prepare. So our series um, is Battle Ready. Battle Ready. And our scripture reading for our talk this morning comes from Philippians 2 and verse 5. Philippians 2 and verse 5, which says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Our title again for today's uh, installment, The War for Your Mind. The War for Your Mind. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for the warnings and the instruction you give. Lord, once again, I ask that you make me just a nail upon the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. But upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, we're going to go straight to the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter. We're going to get right into some prophecy. Revelation 7 and verse 1 says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow, on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. I love this verse. It, this verse tells us that God has sentineled four angels that stand and keep the full weight of sin from reaching, the full weight of the consequences of sin from reaching earth. If these four angels, I believe, were not in place the, the, the mayhem and terror we see on earth would be multiplied manyfold. In his mercy, angels have been standing guard, holding back the weight of sin on mankind. But it's not just the four angels. There's a fifth one. Revelation 7 and verse 2 says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. I love this because we, don't, we always talk about the three angels, but I like this story of the fifth angel. This angel comes on and he says, hold on. Don't get weary. Don't let go. Keep holding back the winds of strife. You see, there's something that must take place before we can let go, and that is that the servants of the Most High God must be sealed in their foreheads. Verse 3, he says, Saying, Hurt not the earth, nor, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. This is... This is one of the most important passages. Whatever it means to be sealed by God here is critical. It exempts us from what happens when the four winds are released or the four angels release the winds. This is critical to our understanding. In fact, 
because this is a medical conference, I like to jump into what it, it means from a more medical standpoint. This, to me, relates to the importance of the part of the brain called the frontal lobe. You see, the front part of the brain, the human brain, is 33% frontal lobe. The next smartest animals are porpoises and chimpanzees, and their brain is only about 13% frontal lobe. And the dog that you think is so smart, it's only 7% frontal lobe. It is the frontal lobe of the brain where personality resides. It is the frontal lobe of the brain, hear this, where character exists. Why is it that the frontal lobe is where this seal, the forehead, why is the seal of the living God placed there? Because this is where your character resides. Now watch this. This is also in Revelation chapter 14 where the Bible says that God writes his name in the faithful. He writes his name in their foreheads. What, is the, what does a name represent in scripture? It represents character. Ah, you're starting to get it. So in our minds is this important place called the frontal lobe where reasoning happens, where planning happens, um, where long-term memory is placed, where judgment happens, where, where impulse is controlled. Did you get that? In fact, even social, sexual behavior is all controlled in the frontal lobe in that 33% of the brain. It is a critical region in the brain. Why is it so critical? Because it is directly tied to salvation. We know this from Isaiah 1 and verse 18 where it says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In order for you to connect with God in the work of salvation, that means justification, sanctification. There is a reasoning process that has to happen somewhere in the process, despite how grandiose humanity may think it is. No matter how splendid our inventions, no matter how amazing we can design and engineer towns or come up with new medical inventions, no matter how impressed with himself man is, he must reason that he is still a moral and spiritual colossal failure. He must reason with God that he is in need of a savior must understand despite his victories or his failures, he is in need of the blood of Jesus Christ. Get this, if you do not have a frontal lobe that is functioning at full capacity, if you do not have clarity of mind, you will easily miss what God wants to do for you and think you can do it for yourself. They've already taught us that we created ourselves, that we evolved from lower beings by chance and happenstance. But if you can reason, you understand that those are statistical impossibilities. Seek to only answer the questions the serpent posed to Eve in the garden, making man think he is a small G-O-D. But look at what the Bible says. Look at... Uh, what it says about this process. Ephesians 1 and verse 13 says this, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, frontal lobe function, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ha, in the frontal lobe, in the place where the sealing happens, it is the intersection of the Holy Spirit and humanity's uh, ability to understand its need for God. There is a spiritual, and let me submit to you, uh, even neurophysiological process that happens that allows us to accept God deep into our being. And so, it is the seal of the living God. It is the, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that allows for this. This is what the spirit of prophecy says on this. She says, what is the seal of the living God, which is placed in the foreheads of his people? It is a mark which angels, but not human eyes can read. 
for the destroying angel must see the mark of redemption. Wait a minute. The seal of God is a mark of redemption? The seal of the living God is a statement that you have been uh, redeemed, that you have been recaptured, that you have been reclaimed from a world of sin? She goes on and says, just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, watch this church, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so that they cannot be moved. Ah, love it. Ah, you're starting to get into what the seal, the seal really means. It's not that you simply understand our doctrine intellectually. It's not that if I gave you a, 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 an MCAT type test, come on now, on our doctrine. It's not like if, and you were able to pass the test that somehow it means you're saved. The truth is, it's not enough to know the truth. You must also be transformed by this truth. You can't get this truth and stay the same way. You've got to settle into it intellectually, yes. And this is the problem. Listen, church, some of our pulpits have become places like, like candy factories. More inclined to pass out sweets than the fibrous food of the gospel. This is where we are. What we believe, the 2300-day prophecy matters. The sanctuary message matters. Yet we, we go to churches where you're ridiculed for wanting to teach and believe these truths. But it's intellectual, but it's not enough that you know these truths. Ah, the truths must be spiritually accepted as well. They must transform us. She says, just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, it will come. Indeed, watch this church, it has begun already. The judgments of God are now upon the land to give us warning that we may know what is coming. When this corona pandemic hit last year, there were all kinds of things about what's, what it means God, it was clear to me after studying prophecy that this thing is a warning. It is a warning to the world, not just to the, to the church. It is a warning even to the secular world that mankind is ultimately not in control. It is a warning that it is time to look up. When you begin to see these signs, we ought not panic. We ought not fear. We ought not get angry with one another. We ought, to, we ought to rejoice. Look up because our redemption draws nigh. I like what Ephesians 4 and verse 30 says. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of of redemption. This is why, church, doctrinally, you're hearing more and more people come out questioning the, 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 the Godhead and the divinity of the Holy Spirit and the personhood of the Holy Spirit. There's more and more attacks against it because literally the final work is the work of the Holy Spirit sealing the church of God in their foreheads. So what does the devil want to do? He not only wants to mess up your mind, as we're going to want, talk about, he wants to discount the veracity of the Holy Ghost. She says the mighty power of the Holy Spirit works an entire transformation in the character of the human agent, making him a new creature in Christ Jesus. When a, I love this. When a man is filled with the Spirit, the more severely he is tested and tried, the more clearly he proves that he is a representative of Christ. You want to know that you're moving in the direction God wants you to move? How do you treat people when they cut you off in traffic? When you have a patient who is obstinate and rude and angry, can you, by the power of the Holy Ghost, be kind and loving in response? 
Let me tell you what, if a crisis causes you to begin to behave like you don't know Jesus, the problem wasn't the crisis, it was the lack of Christ you brought into the crisis. This is the times we live in, church. Can we be Christians even when we're persecuted? Even when we disagree with one another? That's the sign. The Spirit of God is truly working. She says the peace that dwells in the soul is seen on the countenance. The words and actions express the love of the Savior. There is no striving for the highest place. Did y'all get that? Self is renounced. The name of Jesus is written on all that is said and done. Hmm. She says we may talk of the blessings of the Holy Spirit. But unless we prepare ourselves for its reception, of what avail are our works? Are we striving with all our power to attain to the stature of men and women in Christ? Are we seeking for his fullness, ever pressing toward the mark set before us? What is the mark set before us? The perfection of his character. Let me tell you something, church. This is the great work of our time. It is the perfection of character. And this is a difficult thing for a lot of people to understand. But God has called us to move towards him. Jesus is coming back for a church that is without spot or blemish. I like how it, she ends this. When the Lord's people reach this mark, they will be sealed in their foreheads Filled with the Spirit, they will be complete in Christ, and the recording angel will declare, it's finished. Wow. You know, I always thought that it's going to be finished when the gospel is preached everywhere as a witness. Matthew chapter uh, 24, right? When the gospel is preached everywhere, it's over. But there's one other thing that has to happen while the gospel is being preached. And I don't believe they're separate things. I believe the process of, uh, of us bringing the gospel to a dying world is a process that not only evangelizes the word, it purifies the church. The church, there's another mark. There's another mark. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16 says, and he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Satan wants the frontal lobe as well. But you see, Satan is always up to something because he doesn't just, his mark doesn't need to just go in your forehead. You don't have to intellectually and spiritually accept his mark. In fact, if you simply follow what everyone else is doing, you don't have to get a mark in your forehead. You can get a mark in your right hand, which means ha, there will be those who are lost and at the same time, the deception will simply be that they never reasoned. They never thought about it. They just did what everyone else does. And huh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but we are raising a generation of followers. How many followers do you have on your social media account? And who do you follow? And how many followers does that person have? And we are influenced in the, in the 2016 election. They said that many young people in America would not decide on political issues until they checked their social media to see who the people they followed uh, were going to vote for or what they thought about a certain issue. And I know we, we deal with Sunday keeping. I'll, I'll just throw this one out there. Spirit of Prophecy says Sunday keeping is not yet the mark of the beast and will not be until the decree goes forth, causing men to worship this idle Sabbath. The time will come when this day will be the test, but that time has not come yet. And stay tuned, you gotta be here over the next two days because we're gonna dig deep on this subject. Our, sir, our message tomorrow morning, our playtime is over. So we're gonna dig deep on that one. But here's what the Spirit of Prophecy says. She says, what are you doing, brethren? In the great work of preparation, 
Those who are uniting with the world are receiving the worldly mold and preparing for the mark of the beast. So no, the mark of the beast has not, it is not officially launched just yet. But guess what? You are being molded for it now. Right now. What we watch, what we listen to is preparing our minds for what is to come. In fact, let's go one step further. Here's what she says for the Christian. Those who are distrustful of self, who are humbling themselves before God and purifying their souls by obeying the truth, these are receiving the heavenly mold and preparing for the seal of God in their foreheads. When I was a child at the Faith Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hartford, Connecticut, we would do great tent campaigns every summer, all in some of the roughest neighborhoods in Hartford. It was a beautiful experience every summer. From a child coming up, we would baptize people some summers in the hundreds. We only had faith church. We now have faith, hope, charity, joy, grace, all over Hartford. Because we had evangelism in those days. And I remember when they would talk about the seal of the living God and the mark of the beast. And I thought it was like, you know, uh, you know thinking back to one of those Dr. Seuss commercials, where they, uh, uh, cartoons where they just stamp one of those, be- those things and it moves on the line. I thought one day you just get stamped with one of the two of them. But you know what it really is? Every day we make decisions. Every day we reason for or against which of the two we will receive. Every action, everything we do is making the case in our own minds for the reception of either the seal of God or the mark of the beast. How profound is this? Well, let's jump to the sanctuary message for a second. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 tells us, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Right? So our body is a temple. If our body is a temple, that means, and I don't have time today to do it, we, lay, we can lay the body out like the sanctuary. The digestive tract would be like the the my mind. The circulatory system is like the laver, but, the, but our stomach, our digestive tract is like the first altar that you walk into. The bronze, the brazen altar. That's what I was looking for. And you could lay the whole body out. The, some of the higher functions of the brain would happen in the holy place. But the most holy place is the frontal lobe. Now watch this. So the frontal lobe is like the most holy place of the sanctuary. This is where the Shekinah glory of God falls. Right? This is where the Holy Spirit does its sealing. This is where it all connects. This is where judgment and mercy meet. And sin is dealt with. Isaiah 1.18, this is where we reason. Your frontal lobe, it must then be protected because the priest, nobody, not, not just any priest could walk into the most holy place, could they? You, could, you definitely couldn't just walk off the, off the street and walk into the most holy place. It was a protected space. Let me submit to you. As we speak uh, this weekend, that one of the things we must get as Adventist Christians is that our frontal lobe, like the most holy place, must be protected. You cannot just let anything into the most holy place. So why do we just let anything sometimes into our frontal lobes? In fact, the Bible makes this case strong in the Old and the New Testament by connecting salvation to the imagery of a helmet. Isaiah 59 and verse 17, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate. So let's not forget that. The, 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 the vital organs are covered by the breastplate of righteousness in the Old Testament and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And so salvation is connected with a helmet. Wow. Well, what does Paul say? He, he, did, he re- references this twice in Ephesians 6 and verse 17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All frontal lobe functions. Somehow, salvation is tied to a helmet it, because it is your mind that must be protected. That's the job of a helmet. I don't know if you've watched an NFL football game lately, but boy, the way they hit each other, it's pretty rough. They, that's why they wear the helmets. And the helmets don't really even work in that, in that sense. But the helmet is designed to protect the mind. 
Salvation is connected in Scripture to your mind. In fact, there's one more verse Paul does this in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8. Watch this. He says, but let us who are of the day be sober. The first statement, we're going to talk more about sobriety in the next two sessions. Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for, and for a helmet, the what? The hope of salvation. Don't miss this. The breastplate, when we first looked at it in the book of Isaiah, the breastplate was righteousness. Here, it's faith and love. Isn't that interesting? The breastplate is faith, love, and righteousness because righteousness is by faith through the love of God. But the helmet, the hope of salvation, it is the hope of salvation that causes us to live differently. And if I had time to really get into our health message, I would exp- I, I, we could get into the fact that, and maybe over the next couple of days we do a little bit of this, our health message is an anti-inflammatory, anti-stress message. And what we are learning from um, neuroscience now is that it is actually inflammation and inflammatory products from things like uh, meat or from some of the pollutants in the air or from stress, from elevated levels of cortisol, which does not allow the immune system to regulate inflammation like it's supposed to. These inflammatory markers cross the blood-brain barrier, go into the brain, and this is now this new term you keep hearing, brain fog. They're starting to connect it to the fact that because of processed foods and stressful lives, we are, we are, we are a, a people in brain fog. But it takes me back to Isaiah 1 and verse 18. If you can't focus, it's hard to reason. If you can't think straight and remember, you're going to lose the weapons you need to stand in the last days. So, we must defend our, uh, defend our minds and the mind of our children. Here's what the Spirit of Prophecy says, Adventist Home, page 403. Those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. Look at this. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. Wow. And the filth that is out there now that we all are exposed to, even billboards sometimes. She says, the mind must not be left to dwell at random upon every subject that the enemy of souls may suggest. The heart must be faithfully sentineled or evils without will, or evils without will awaken evils within. And the soul will wander in darkness. Now watch this. She then says, Satan stands ready to infatuate the mind and soul to pursue a course directly contrary to God's express will, that he may separate that soul from God and he interposes his temptations and gains control over the mind and the heart's affections. She says, this is Satan's studied plan. This is Satan's studied plan to lead souls to to turn from one mighty in counsel to the persuasion of minds who have no love for God, no love for the truth. He wants to redirect our attention away from the God of heaven, away from the life of Christ, He does not want us contemplating, as we are instructed to do, uh, what happened at the cross and think about the sacrifice that Christ made for each one of us. Satan does not want us there. He wants us worrying about what happens in the royal family. He wants wants us to keep up with the Kardashians. He wants us focused on the, on the latest uh, scores in the NFL or the NBA. He wants us focused away from eternal things to those that are most temporary. So the first thing we'll address is music. If we are to defend our minds, we must understand the power of music. And we know one of the things that's really powerful about music is that it affects multiple parts of the brain at the same time. It's critical to remember that Lucifer 
uh, Ezekiel 28 tells us, was built with pipes and tabrets. He was designed with pipes and tabrets. Satan is a living, breathing, musical instrument. We're always told that he was the choir director in heaven. I was told as a kid he he could sing eight-part harmony by himself. All I know is that he's a very good musician. And that he understands the power of music to influence you, to turn your mind away from Christ to other things. And so the neurons around auditory reception, you can see all the different parts of the brain affected. It is so that when you hear music, you don't process it like you process me speaking right now. It's processed differently because music goes deep down inside of you. It affects you at a core level. Releases dopamine in the brain, serotonin in the brain. It is a powerful force that is often underestimated. Look at one, one, um, one uh, um, uh, article here. It says, your brain on music, the sound system between your ears. And this is research uh, that was put out by the Kennedy Center. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just quote them. Um, they say, music simultaneously stimulates the left and right hemispheres of the brain. It boosts learning and information intake, therefore augmenting cognitive skills. Learning may be increased fivefold. It crosses the corpus callosum. It causes both hemispheres of the the brain to be enacted. And when it does this, what it can do is it actually enhances learning. Watch this, church. This is why what we sing in church matters. And I'm not, not trying to be fanatical or crazy, but I want you to understand that what the devil wants us to do is sing together and it feel good, but not instruct in righteousness. I know. We're just getting warmed up. Watch this. You want to see the impact of music? This is a 2006 study of almost 1,500 teenagers found that teens who heavily listen to music featuring sexual subject matter are more likely to start having sex earlier than those who do not by a margin of almost two to one. The research, if you want to look it up, is uh, in Pediatrics 2006, the journal Pediatrics. The lead author was Stephen Martino. He said, the the, the study authors found that the the pervasive message in such music of the studly carefree men and the subservient sex object women is reinforced even if it isn't closely paid attention to The author opines this. We think that it really lowers kids' inhibitions and makes them less thoughtful in terms of their decisions. In other words, they don't reason the same. Come, let us reason together. The music can allow you to reason less. (laughs) This is why Solomon says this. In Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 5, Solomon says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. And I'm not going to call any of the popular artists out there by name, but I would argue, what would you want to follow some of them for? Their own lives are chaos and confusion. And yet, by the power of the music industry, they are having such an impact on young people. I, I won't even get into the, into the, the violence in the music. The, you know, the, the, the rap went to gangster rap. Um, you know, you know, promoting violence, promoting alcohol, promoting marijuana. It's not just sex. It's, it's a promotion of many things. The focus on romantic music has changed people's view of love. When most Americans think of love, they don't think of agape love. It's romantic love. It's Valentine's Day love. It's a rom-com type of love. But the Christian must be careful to always remember that God's love is a higher love. And yet the music of the world pushes us to think of love in really the lowest and simplest way possible. 
But it's not just music. It's also the media, television, streaming services. When I was a kid in church, we talked about the dangers of television, man. If, if, if it was bad then when we had four channels. Uh, literally, we had four channels. And we, you know, our remote control, I shouldn't say it, but our, our remote control was a pair of pliers because you had to actually stick the thing in and turn the knob because we didn't have a knob and my mother wasn't buying another television. If it, if it was bad then, Right now, what we find is that our children are visually captivated. All of the things that are seen, the studies show, uh, electroencephalogram studies uh, demonstrate that television watching converts the brain from beta wave activity to alpha waves, which are associated with a daydreaming, don't miss this church, with a daydreaming state and a reduced use of critical thinking skills. Did you get that? In other words, when you watch television, it puts you into like a trance, changes your brain. I have whole talks on just that. Changes the, the brain waves uh, where, where you are so that you don't focus the same. So that while you're watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or whatever show you're watching, while you're watching it, you are not in a place to reason. In fact, what begins to happen is you will accept whatever they're telling you on a subconscious level. Listen, and again, and these studies, pediatric journal, these are not Christian sources I'm, I'm giving you now. This is a medical conference. So I figure we can, we can talk a little bit about the science of these things. Eric Braverman, founder and president of Path Foundation New York, a nonprofit research organization devoted to brain health, says television mesmerizes people and turns them into intellectual spectators. It feeds passivity and makes you less engaged. You wonder why folk come to church and they're so bored? Why so many stop coming to church at all? Because unless you put on a Broadway show up front in your church, and let me tell you something, some churches actually do. They got smoke and colored lights and music. With... But this, let me tell you something, you've been watching Netflix all week and Hulu all week and you go to sit in a pew and hear a, 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 someone stand and preach a thus saith the, the Lord and, you, and sing a hymn and all of a sudden you can't sit still, you can't focus. It doesn't match the, the, the every seven seconds that the screen changes on television. So you sit there and you, you wriggle in your chair because it's so boring. Never mind the fact that in the spiritual realm, television has had you entertained by spirits all week. Who do you think writes the stuff everyone's watching? It's not a coincidence that almost every show ridicules and mocks Christianity. Well, it gets even deeper than that. For research has long established that teens who watch movies or listen to music that glamorizes drinking, drug use, or violence tend to engage in those behaviors themselves. But a 2012 study shows that movies influence teens' sexual attitudes and behaviors as well. This study was published in Psychological Science, and it found that the more teens were exposed to sexual content in movies, the earlier they started having sex, and the, watch this, the likelier they were to have casual unprotected sex. Before the children of Israel reached the promised land, do you remember the fiasco at Baal Peor? When they couldn't curse the children of Israel, when Balaam couldn't curse them, what did he do? He sent the women to go and seduce them right as they were at the promised land. And a plague fell among the people of God because of it. Let me tell you something. We are at the doors of the promised land. And sexual immorality is one of the ways that the enemy is going to try to put a stumbling block, as the scripture describes the incident at Baal Peor, to put a stumbling block before the people of God. How do we know that this is working well? Well, 
with all the technology and information we have, what we now know is that the cases of sexually transmitted diseases, some say now sexually transmitted infections, have gone through the roof. Chlamydia, up 149%. Mycoplasma, genitalium, 197%. Gonorrhea, 126%. Syphilis, up 80%. Syphilis. In fact, we, had, we just, the, the protocols just came out from the infectious disease folk um, that we need to double the dose of rocephin we give for gonorrhea from 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams. Why? Because of the resistance. Gonorrhea is beginning, used to, you could treat it with penicillin. Penicillin to gonorrhea now is like giving it a, a, a Snickers bar. Doesn't do anything to it. And what you notice, this, this, what the research is saying is that when you listen to this music and you watch this television programming, it reduces your inhibitions. It reduces your ability to reason what's happening. The impure, the unholy has entered the most holy place of your mind. And so the common now is seen as acceptable. What should be rejected now is completely normalized. One of the best examples of this is in the dangers of pornography. And I, and I, and I go to churches and we do, these, um, we do talks around these issues um, and, and there are many men and even now women who will come out and say that they struggle with this. But I want to show you this from just a scientific standpoint. Look at this. It says that watching pornography rewires the brain to a more juvenile state. Did you get that? You got to guard your mind. So if you're a husband and you're hiding in the other room watching this filth, it is literally <laughs> taking your maturity clock and turning it backwards. Do you think you'll need that maturity to stand in the last days? Look at this. It gets even scarier. They say porn may literally shrink the brain. A 2014 study in, the, in JAMA Psychiatry, the Journal of the American Medical Association, again, none of these are Christian things I'm citing here. Men who regularly consumed pornography had, a, had smaller brain volume and fewer connections in the striatum, a brain region tied to reward processing compared with those who didn't view this material. Isn't that profound? What does it do in men? It actually makes them less mature. It shrinks the brain. Why is that dangerous? Shrinking the brain, because it is in your mind that the seal of God must go. That means I want every brain cell working at full capacity. I don't know if you've been familiarized with the term neuroplasticity, but we now know, we used to believe the brain couldn't regenerate itself, but we now know that with exercise and, and a good diet that actually you can make uh, new, new neurons, the, the brain can regenerate. I love it because the Old Testament prophet says that God would restore unto you the land that the locusts have taken. If you've been in behaviors that damage the brain, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, or in this case, pornography, I, I want to submit to you that if, you're, if you are willing to give it all to God oh, and follow his plan, he can restore what the locusts of this world have taken. For young boys, here's what it does. The hypothalamus activates the testes to secrete more testosterone, the sexually explicit material, crafts a brain that is constantly generating testosterone and heightened sexual desire. This is from an author, Struthers, from a 2009 article. Instead of allowing boys to focus on school, sports, and music, sexually explicit material caused a ramped-up sex drive where their minds are inundated with sexual thoughts. We literally pervert the minds of young people. And here's the thing, we, often, we talk about this sexually explicit material as if it's only in certain content, but let me tell you something, even regular movies, regular TV programs border on this kind of material. What does Isaiah say? Isaiah, say, Isaiah 33, 15 says, he that walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppressions, that, that shakes his hands from holding of bribes, that, look at this, that stops his ears from hearing blood. That is the violence 
of the sound in our generation of musical sound and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Isaiah says that there are those that should stop their ears from hearing blood and shut their eyes from, being, from seeing evil. Why? What is the payoff? Verses 16 and 17 of Isaiah 33 gives you the payoff. He shall dwell on high. The place of defense shall be the, his place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. And look at the last part, verse 17. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Church, there are those who are not going to see the king in his beauty. They will not be able to stand when Jesus comes back riding on the white horse. Because of what they saw now. You won't be able to see him then. You'll turn your face and cry and cry to the rocks, fall on us. Hide us from he who cometh. Let me tell you something, church. What we decide on a daily basis is molding our mind in one direction or the other. Either our minds are being molded to receive uh, the seal of the living God or it is being molded to receive the mark of the beast. That is the challenge of our day. And here's the, the kicker. It is our job to go out and warn the world. That one day, judgment will come. But you know what? I'm so glad that God's name is grace and mercy. I'm so glad for the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian because it doesn't matter how far you went from God. Doesn't matter how deep in sin you went, if you're willing to come back, you have not outsinned God's ability to save you. You see, that's an impossibility. You'd have to stop being God if you could do that. But the blood of Jesus Christ still washes, it still cleanses. And the reason the devil wants you distracted on all the things of the world is because he wants you thinking about the now. He wants you thinking about uh, uh, your status in this world. But I have come to tell you that when you step back and turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, I'm a Christian because I've learned no matter how bad I've lived, no matter how many mistakes I've made, I, there is space for me at the foot of the cross. I'm so glad that we have a Savior who is soon to return. The things going on in this world, the fires, the earthquakes, the wars, the controversies, the pestilence, all they say to me is, as Jesus said to the disciples as he walked on the water, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And with that, I've, I, I tell you, to finish with the verse we started with, Philippians 2 and verse 5, which says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Church, I'm asking my wife to come up and sing as we, as we, Surrender all to Christ Jesus. Amen. Before we pray, I do want to remind us of the challenge of our time. The clarity of mind, surrendering all to Christ Jesus, is more important now than ever before. There's a great quote in the Spirit of Prophecy which says that the, the work we should have done in times of peace, we will have, to be, will have to be done in the most difficult of time and circumstance. This is a time when the church of the living God and each one of us must humble ourselves, go back to the basics, the fundamentals of Christ and Christianity. Really engage in our worships in our homes. Really engage in our churches to do evangelism. 
I'm going to talk about this more over the weekend, but the enemy has his people praying that, that our work will not go forward. There are dark forces that pray all night. I was in London, England, and um, speaking for, for, uh, at, the, at one of the, either the conference or the union office there, and one of the pastors and I were talking, and he told me that in London there are more witches than there are Christian pastors. And he said, and they spend the night on the weekends praying against the church. And it was sad because we both looked at each other and said, and how challenging is it for the people of God to pray even for an hour? I'm going to close us out in prayer. But I want to leave us with a challenge today. That we surrender all. Everything to Christ Jesus. And that we become warriors in prayer. That the helmet of salvation would be worn by us all. And that we would now intercede for those who have lost their way. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to fellowship and to worship. Lord God, many of us in this room have failed you. Lord, we, all we like sheep have gone astray. Lord, we are here and we worship, we praise you because we know Father God more than anything. You want us reconciled to you. You want to bring us back into the fold if we've gone astray. And Lord, you want to, 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 to encourage us and empower us to do your work. So Father God, we pray this day that your people would defend their minds against the world and turn their hearts to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.